The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. More Johnson & Johnson fallout this morning as European regulators prepare to issue new guidance on that now-paused vaccine. Investors bracing for a wave of bank earnings. J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs kicking things off today. History in the making at the Nasdaq as Coinbase prepares for its public market debut. The Archegos saga continues as Credit Suisse remains caught in the thick of some big stock trades gone sideways. And the Empire State getting in the way of President Biden's ambitious tax reform plans It's Wednesday, April 14th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today, kicking off your Wednesday morning with stock futures indicating some stability at the opening bell. Remember, the S&P 500 hit a record yesterday. The Dow Jones Industrial Average implied higher by roughly 18 points. Very modest move to the upside. The S&P implied higher by roughly five points and the Nasdaq up by about 24 at the opening bell. If these futures moves hold into regular cash equities trading. Remember, the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq 100 coming off fresh record highs in yesterday's session. On a sector check side of things, you've got technology, healthcare, consumer discretionary also coming off. Yes, record-breaking sessions for each of those three sectors as well. Now, despite all the talk of value being the big play in 2021, the Russell 1000 growth ETF, the ticker IWF, is up for nine sessions in a row for the first time since 2017 when it rallied for 11 straight days. It's also coming off a fresh high, all-time record of its own. Aside from a wealth of Fed speak today, investors are bracing for the start of earnings season and the word from the big banks. Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo all opening up their quarterly books before the opening bell today. Earnings for the S&P 500 financial sector are expected to surge 76% from the same time last year. Estimates for financials have been moving higher heading into that earnings season today. At the start of the month, expected earnings growth is sitting right around 69%. But the more major upward revisions have come over the past few months. Take a look at the significant progression since October. Take a look at that. 27% January of 2021, 48% then 70 percent and then 76 percent right now, just to show you how much the expectations have progressed over the course of the last several months. We will dig into all of this more with Menden Capital Advisors Anton Schutz later on this hour. Stay tuned for that interview. Now, around the world, a mixed overnight session in Asia that saw Hong Kong pop more than one percent, as you can see there. Also, 
You can see the Hang Seng in Hong Kong up 1%, the Shanghai Composite up half a percent, the Nikkei in Japan, though, down by about one half of 1%, predominantly green on that Asian trade side of things around the globe. Let's spin it over to what's happening with Europe. Mostly green there. You can see the German DAX just about flat on the day. The FTSE 100 up about two-tenths of 1% in the U.K. And then the CAC in France up about a half a percent as well. Italy an underperformer in today's session. Let's get to some of this morning's top stories, including the latest out of Johnson & Johnson and the vaccine saga. Bertha Coombs is here with more on that big development. Bertha. Yeah, it just continues to unfold, Dom. Europe's top health regulator is expected to issue new guidance on the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine as soon as today. That, according to France's European Affairs Minister. The update comes after yesterday's decision by the FDA and CDC here in the U.S. to recommend pausing all J&J vaccinations for at least a few days after six women under the age of 50 developed rare blood clots after getting the shot. Meantime, sources are telling CNBC that Credit Suisse is still unloading its positions in discovery linked to Archegos Capital Management. According to sources, the bank was shopping 19 million shares of Class A stock and 22 million Class C shares yesterday. Shares of discovery this morning are trading down uh, on both sets of stocks, both the Class A and the Class C. Class C down nearly 6%. And Stitch Fix founder Katrina Lake will step down from her role as CEO and assume the position of executive chairman. The online fashion retailer naming President Elizabeth Spaulding to replace Lake as chief executive. She will also be elected to the board of directors. Now, the leadership changes go in effect August 1st. Katrina Lake founded the company back in 2011, 10 years ago almost now, while a student at Harvard Business School, and she is one of the youngest women ever to take a company public. She was 34 when Stitch Fitch started trading. It's been public for four years now. Dom, she's not yet 40, so I'm sure a lot of folks are wondering, what is her next chapter? I'm wondering what the heck I've done with my life, Bertha. Right. (laughs) Bertha Coombs, thank you very much for those headlines. Incredible. Yeah, we'll see you later on this hour. Back to the markets now. Your next guest says there are five key themes for investors as we push into earnings season and the second quarter. Seema Shah is the chief strategist at Principal Global Investors, PGI. Seema, thank you very much for joining us here. What we got going on in terms of your thoughts? Is this earnings season going to be enough fundamentally to carry this rally into the next few months? Hi, Dom. Yes, we do believe that. Um, You know, as you were sharing, the earnings growth expectations have been improving in line with the global economic recovery. We're already seeing economic data coming through showing a much better than expected Q1 um, growth, not just in the US, but actually across the world. So really that earnings uh, seasons for Q1 should, if anything, really prop up, keep a, a good base under the equity market and start to justify some of those really extended valuations that we've been looking at. So when, when experts like yourself, you know, they, they look at the numbers, they model things out, they try to forecast what's happening, they pin valuations on these. At what point, Seema, just give us some insight into your thought process. At what point do you start to say to yourself, how much has been priced in? We know that these financials and energy companies have rallied so tremendously over the last six months. How much optimism is already baked in there? And we know the expectations keep rising. Are the expectations now at a point where we say, hey, it's buy the rumor and then sell the news? Dom, that's such a good question. And it really is. It's an important one. It's one that we get asked a lot by investors, especially in recent weeks. 
as people are starting to wonder, look, is this already priced in and really how much further does that rotation have to go? Well, I think from our perspective, you know, we are looking at a global recovery, which is only just starting to unfold. It's still got much, much further to go. We've had some really good news, especially in the US from the fiscal stimulus package uh, and also with the reopenings that are taking place with some generally good vaccine news. So to our perspective, you know, we think this has got further to run. Um, you know, valuations, of course, are an important um, element of, of any kind of analysis for long term investing. But just because things are expensive doesn't mean that they don't have to they can. That, sorry, it doesn't mean that they can't continue to do well as long as there's a strong global growth outlook. Um, and as long as central banks are still going to be very supportive, which is where we are today. So from our perspective, financials have still got further to run. The case has been made, Seema, that there are bubbles popping up in certain key parts of the market. And when I say key, I mean the most high profile ones. Bubbles popping up there. Are those bubbles, say, in cryptocurrency in certain te- te- parts of the tech sector, communication services sector, or even now the energy sector? Are, are they worrisome at all? Are they indicative? Are they tea leaves for a broader, perhaps, correction that could be in the offing? Do you feel as though these bubbles are things that we should worry about? Look, I think it's always important to keep an eye on these bubbles. And, you know, with the amount of central bank stimulus that we've experienced, not just in the last year, but actually over the last 10 years, um, it's understandable that investors are increasingly concerned about bubbles. Now, with the cryptocurrency, you know, potentially, look, that's a really, really volatile part of the market. And an investor who's looking at that side needs to be very aware of the risks that they're entailing. Uh, When we look at technology, on the other hand, actually, we have some really good expectations about their earnings. You know, you look at their positive cash flow. It's, it far outweighs anything that we're seeing in the rest of the market. So although there could be some short-term turbulence for technology as some of that stay-at-home uh, trade starts to fade, actually, from a longer-term perspective, tech probably has got further to run. And I think some of the other bubbles, you know, concerns about where central banks have been applying a lot of their, their liquidity, those things, they will come to fruition one day. But actually, we're not too concerned about it in the short term. Certainly, 2021 to us is a pretty good year for, for markets. All right. Seema Shah, Principal Global Constructive on the markets going forward. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. When we come back on the show, much more on the fallout surrounding the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine pause. We'll speak with one voting member of the committee that originally recommended the use of that vaccine to the Food and Drug Administration. His take on what comes next. Plus, history in the making for Coinbase as the company prepares for its public market debut on the NASDAQ today in a direct listing format. We speak with one investor who got in early. You know him. He's been on the show before. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on some of the big stock movers of the morning so far today. Toshiba's CEO is resigning as a management rift widens over a recent buyout offer from private equity firm CVC Capital Partners. CVC's offer values the company at more than $20 billion. Reuters reports Toshiba's board already planned to oust the CEO before the bid was made public last week, up 6% in Japanese trading, Toshiba shares. Then shares of LG Electronics up more than 2% in South Korean trading today. The company declining to comment on media reports that Apple is very near to signing a deal with LG and auto parts maker Magna to build an Apple-branded electric car. LG and Magna announced an EV joint venture back in December. LG up on that news. SAP reporting preliminary first quarter results that topped analyst forecasts as profits rose 32 percent. The company also raising its outlook for the year, citing strong growth across all applications, including cloud and software licenses. And then finally, Procter & Gamble, P&G, raising its quarterly dividend by 10 percent. The company has benefited from the pandemic-driven surge in demand for cleaning products and other household goods. P&G reports its earnings next week, those shares up fractionally in the pre-market trade. Well, still on deck for the show, top-ranked banking analyst Anton Schutz is here for a bank earnings preview and some financial names that he says should be on your radar for buying. Plus, Coinbase coming out with the, of the gate with a $65 billion valuation, but your next guest says try boosting that number by $40 billion more. We're back after this. Today's big number. trillion. That's the total trading volumes crypto exchange slash broker businesses are on pace to do this year, according to Bernstein. That's equal to the Dow spot trading volumes in 2020. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. It's history in the making at the NASDAQ as Coinbase readies for its public market debut. The exchange's first direct listing, really, of of consequence ever. The Nasdaq giving Coinbase a reference price of $250 per share. That's important, ahead of that listing, which would value the cryptocurrency at about $65 billion. So $250 reference price per share equals $65 billion valuation. Excitement around the listing, one of the first major crypto businesses to go public, boosting the price of Bitcoin to record levels as well. As you can see, they're currently hovering right around $63,500 per token. Joining me now is one investor who got in early on Coinbase. Santosh Rao is a partner and head of research at Manhattan Venture Partners. Santosh, good morning. First of all, can I just ask you, how, how does Manhattan Venture Partners, how do you guys get in on all of these IPOs, pre-IPO funding, Coinbase, Robinhood, everything that we've talked about? What is it that you guys do? How is it that you guys invest in these at such an early stage? 
Well, you know, that's what I do as head of research and our team out there. Uh, we just go out, look at the companies uh, from ground up, look at the market opportunity out there. So uh, it's just about doing your research, looking at ideas, looking at new trends coming up. So we just try to get in early. So uh, I think that's what it is. And it has worked out so far. Uh, yeah, so our team, uh, all, all kudos to the team. It's worked out a lot. We, should, we just showed a board for viewers out there of all the companies that you've been involved in. It's a laundry list of unicorns out there. Let, let's kind yes. of figure out now, from your perspective, Coinbase has to be one of those ones that gets you really, really excited just because of the craze around crypto over the last several years. Take us through what the fundamental valuation type driven analysis on your side means of why you would still hold on to a a company like Coinbase. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got in early before the whole hysteria and all the uh, all the momentum behind this Bitcoin. Uh, we knew this was a great asset category. We knew this company was the right vehicle to uh, participate in this whole thing that we expect now. So I think the valuation-wise, we are taking a long-term view. We're not just looking at the snapshot today. We believe it's uh, it's just still early innings in this whole crypto economy. And uh, this is right in the middle of it. It's a diversified play, best of breed play, agnostic to any cryptocurrency that takes off. So we looked at the long-term view. I think the glide path that is uh, that it is on may have some turbulence, but in the end, it is going to go up, uh, up and right. So in terms of the user base and the revenue, the transaction volume, yes, there is some pressure. There will be pressure as there uh, always is when the commission rates will come down. And I know that's been a big bear case, but that's fine. They have enough breadth they have uh, the number of assets on the platform are still very small percentage of the total uh, uh, assets available and anything of value can be digitized and can be on the crypto platform so i think so this is the market opportunity is huge and this company is right in the middle of it to take advantage of that so even at the valuation i mean we are looking at uh, closer to 100 billion my valuation was 98 billion right off the gate uh, i think that's totally reasonable if you look at 2022 revenues which is about maybe 11.11 and change times sales and about 27 times EBITDA. So I think that's reasonable for a company that's disruptive and going to be at the cutting edge of uh, this whole uh, uh, crypto mania. That All right, Santosh, I mean, obviously you have an axe to grind here. You, you own the stock. It's worth $100 billion in your mind. Let's take us through whether or not you feel as though crypto prices need to keep going higher in order for Coinbase to keep growing its valuation. Yeah, it, it, that'll help. I mean, that's their core business at this point. But they have other services, too. And they also have a subscription product coming up. And the whole range of services, the, the custody services, they have a number of other levers to pull as they go up. But uh, trading in uh, cryptocurrencies is a big part of their uh, business model at this point. And there is no reason why it should stop. And the people are realizing the value. They think it's going to be an integral part of the financial system going forward. And, uh, and it's it's going to be right there. So it's going to be valued there. And it's important. Uh, cryptos are important cryptocurrencies. But the best part about it is it's it's agnostic. It, any cryptocurrency, we don't know which one will take off. Right now, Bitcoin is way up there. Ethereum is coming up and the whole range of other com- uh, coins that are on, on the on the platform that can take off. So this is agnostic. It's important that they do well, but it's not necessary. They have other services and they have the technology breadth scale to kind of keep their competitive advantage going forward. All right. Santosh Rao, Manhattan Venture Partners, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Please keep us up to date on what your next investments are going to be. Absolutely. We'll do. All right. Thanks, Santosh. Thanks, Tom. Coming up on the show on Squawk Box, don't miss an exclusive interview with the Coinbase CEO, Brian Armstrong. That's 6 
a.m. Eastern time, a must-watch interview and what could be a transformational public listing for a at least paradigm-breaking type company. Let's check on this morning's other top headlines as well. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good Wednesday morning, Francis. Hey, Dom. Good morning to you. We start for a third night in a row here in Minnesota. Protesters demanding justice for Dante Wright. The Minnesota National Guard says over 2,000 members had been activated. Police made 60 arrests overnight. Yesterday, the officer who fired the fatal shot and the city's police chief both resigned amid growing outrage over Wright's death. Ever given, the massive cargo ship that blocked the Suez Canal for days last month has been impounded. According to the canal chief, Egyptian authorities seized the vessel over a financial dispute with its Japanese owner. A court issued the order to impound the vessel on Monday. No formal word on how much money the canal authority was seeking, but an official said it was demanding at least $900 million. We're just 100 days away from the start of the Olympic Games. Olympic organizers marked the countdown by unveiling a statue of the Olympic rings on Mount Takao, just west of Tokyo. The International Olympic Committee and organizers continue to press on with preparations for the Games, which start on July 23rd. Dom, just another thing that we can all look forward to in the months ahead. Fingers crossed, Francis, tight. right? Fingers really, crossed. Really, really tight. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Francis Rivera, thank you very much for that. Have sure a nice thing. day. Pfizer and Moderna are stepping up their vaccine game in the wake of a global pause around the Johnson & Johnson jab. What one doctor who voted yes on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has to say about the pause and what the next could be coming up. Now, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to our podcast, Worldwide Exchange, in audio format. You can check us out on Apple or Spotify, whatever the podcast app you choose. We'll be right back here on Worldwide Exchange. Mounting fallout over that Johnson & Johnson vaccine pause. We're talking with a member of the panel that actually recommended the FDA green light the treatment and why he says he's on board with that pause. Earnings season set to kick off with the big banks under the microscope. Menden Capital's Anton Schutz lays out whether the financials results can live up to their very elevated expectations. And Amazon, Google, GM, and Starbucks are the latest major U.S. companies to wade into that growing fight over voting laws. It's Wednesday, April 14th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Here is how stock futures are looking as we approach 5.30 a.m. Eastern time in New York. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq are coming off record all-time highs. And right now, you can see the Dow Jones imply higher by 20 points, the S&P up by four, and the Nasdaq up by about 20. So maybe some extension of record levels for certain indices in the U.S. Investors not only bracing for a wave of bank earnings due out this week, but also a wealth of Fed speak, along with Chairman Jay Powell, expect new comments from John Williams, Rich Clarida, you can see, and more, Raphael Bostic, all of them, Robert Kaplan making comments, speaking today, April 14th, 2021. Let's get to some of the top headlines this morning. Bertha Coombs is back with those. Bertha. Hey, Tom. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has formally invited President Biden to address Congress. Pelosi setting April 28th for that speech. 
Biden first. It'll be Biden's first to both chambers of uh, as president. The speaker had previously cited needing COVID capacity rules for the event, delaying the speech from its usual February date. Sticking with President Biden, a group of Democratic lawmakers are threatening to cut support for his proposed tax hikes to pay for his $2 trillion infrastructure plan. The 17 leaders are calling for Biden to include a full repeal of the limitation on the state and local tax deduction passed by Congress in 2017 in exchange for their support. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Kathleen Rice were the only Dems from New York not to sign the letter. And a new statement released today shows hundreds of companies, including Amazon, BlackRock, Google, and Netflix, have joined forces in opposing voting restrictions. The statement was organized by former American Express CEO Ken Chenault and Merck CEO Ken Frazier. The letter appeared today and ads in the New York Times and the Washington Post. Dom, momentum is growing on this issue. Absolutely right. Momentum for sure. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much for those headlines. Bank earnings are kicking off today with three of the big banks reporting their first quarter results. Analysts are expecting earnings to rise by over 75 percent. That's according to Refinitiv, a sharp change from a year ago, which saw Q1 earnings decline 38 percent. A lot of optimism priced into this market already right now. Let's see if it's warranted and bring in Anton Schutz, chief investment officer and portfolio manager at Menden Capital Advisors, an expert on the banks. Anton, let's talk about whether or not this massive rally over the last six months in value sectors like financials is already pricing in a very optimistic earnings season. Well, uh, one could certainly say that. But if you look at how much they got destroyed in the first part of last year, um, the move does not reflect uh, this very large GDP increase we're going to see in the back half of this year, steeper yield curve, which is much steeper than it was at the same time last year, as well as potential for a lot of loan growth in the back half of the year. I think the stimulus has been incredible. Uh, it's, it's amounted to 42 percent of GDP. The economy is awash in liquidity and the banks are awash in deposits. They need to be able to deploy those. And that's the growth story of the second half of the year for the banks. So if that's the growth story, are, are there certain parts of the financial complex that will do better than others? I mean, when we talk about financials, it could be insurance companies, it could be regional banks, it could be money center banks, it could be investment banks. We've got an interesting cadre today, right? Because you've got a money center bank in J.P. Morgan, you've got a traditional lender in Wells Fargo, and you've got an investment bank in Goldman Sachs. Among those three, which one of those is your favorite? Sure. Um, I, you know, I, I really like self-help stories, so... Wells Fargo is a self-help story. There's a, there's a lot of improvement to come there, a lot of cost cuts to happen. Uh, there'll be noise in the quarter, but the stock is cheap relative to the other banks, and there's a lot more to come there. And eventually, when they get out from under the asset cap, the earnings can explode to the upside. They've been doing everything they can to appease regulators and behave. And uh, just by the by, if they ever let them out of the cap to grow assets, they're capable of buying $200 billion of U.S. treasuries. It helps fund a deficit when the other big banks may be a little more constrained given the SLR. So we, we've talked about the concern. You, you, you mentioned the SLR. There, there are constraints here that the banking industry will face in the coming months. What do you think is going to be the, the biggest factor, the biggest factor that, that kind of caps what financials can do in the, in the medium to longer term? Um, I, you know, I actually I don't see a lot of cap on the regional banks right now because I, I think that loan growth is going to be there. So you know, if I'm right and GDP is in the upper middle single digits, that's great. You know, if we close back down again, that's the cap, right? 
that is the real risk to you know the market to uh, financials. We need the economy to stay open and keep reopening. And there's a lot of momentum here right now. As a banking analyst, when you talk about things like that, like interest rates, like net interest margins, like the yield curve, you know, there, there are factors there that you consider. How much are you as an analyst looking at forecasting for rates? And then how much does that factor into how you feel as though you will allocate capital to certain investments? Are you doing it more to regional banks because you think that that interest rate picture gets even better for them down the line? How exactly then do you go about your process and picking which are the which are going to be the outperformers? Sure. Um, yes, I'm, I'm definitely allocated to regional banks at this point um, because I do expect that loan growth to happen. I do expect more mergers to happen and costs to come out of the industry. Uh, we're way overbranched in this country, so costs is a big factor. And banks have learned that everybody's moved, you know, to the internet, uh, whether it's businesses or or uh, senior citizens, everybody's logging in. So they don't need the same amount of branches and the same amount of resources there. So that's important too. That cost story, I think, is one that's going to develop over time. Not today, but it'll come. Um, I also look at uh, another sector. I I love M&A and I love it not only for the banks, but I also like some of the boutiques. You know, I think all the big banks today, you know, JP Morgan has big, big unit, obviously Goldman, they're going to report really robust M&A, really robust capital markets. And, you know, one of the flies in the ointment uh, has been the SPACs, right? All of a sudden, SPACs, you can't IPO them. But all those SPACs that are out there have all this cash. And they've got to put it to work within that two-year ticking clock. You're going to see a lot of acquisitions going on, a lot of advisory fees come into some of the, the, the broker-dealers, and not only just the big ones, but uh, I happen to like Cowan. I happen to like Jeffries. Uh, I think they'll be major beneficiaries of that. And they're, they're incredibly cheap relative to their earnings prospects. So I think those are neat as well. All right. Anton Schutz at Mending Capital with a breakdown of the banks. Thank you very much. Always great to get your expertise, sir. Have a good day. You too. That will come up on the show. One of the members of the panel that recommended the FDA authorize the Johnson & Johnson vaccine joins us to explain why he says a pause in the treatments is actually the right move. But first, as we head out to break, some of your other top stories. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is urging Senate members to oppose a Democratic-backed voting rights bill. The group says the bill, which updates voting procedures and requires states to turn over the redrawing of congressional district lines to independent commissions, would punish corporations and associations that engage in political advocacy. Prudential Financial is reportedly exploring selling a majority of its retirement business. That's according to a report from Bloomberg. The company is working with an advisor to find potential buyers for the unit, which could go for more than $2 billion dollars. And a Senate subcommittee on travel is calling for the federal government to roll out specific steps to jumpstart this country's tourism industry. Lawmakers are seeking information on when international inbound restrictions would be lifted and are calling for a pathway for cruise lines to resume their sailing activities. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. To the global vaccine rollout in the wake of yesterday's decision by the Food and Drug Administration and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to pause all Johnson & Johnson vaccinations and deliveries due to six subsequent cases of blood clots. Moderna saying new data shows its vaccine is over 90% effective at protecting against COVID six months after being administered. The data coming in an update to Moderna's phase three clinical trial. It includes over 900 cases of COVID-19 through April 9th. 
Pfizer announcing it will be able to deliver 10 percent more doses than expected to the United States by the end of May. CEO Albert Borla saying on Twitter that due to a ramp up in production, the company can now deliver a total of 220 million doses. Borla also saying that the full 300 million agreed upon for the end of July will now be ready two weeks early. And the European Medicines Agency, EMA, is set to issue new guidance on the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine as soon as today. That's according to France's European Affairs Minister. Johnson & Johnson is delaying their rollout in the European Union alongside the pause in the U.S. For more on the state of the vaccine rollout, given all of those headlines and the broader implications of that Johnson & Johnson pause, Let's bring in Dr. Patrick Moore, professor of microbiology and microgenetics at the University of Pittsburgh. He also served on the advisory committee to the FDA that unanimously recommended emergency use authorization of that Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Dr. Moore, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Is it justified? The pause. Good morning. Uh, Yes, sure. Of course it is. This is uh, what we anticipated these are the kinds of things that we anticipated could happen under this emergency authorization. And naturally, what we want to do is to pause and find out more about what the, the problems are with a, a vaccine. And if they're sufficient, then the vaccine won't be given. If they're not, then we will reinitiate vaccination. So if that's the case, can you take us through that that process when you and your your colleagues got together to to, to give emergency use authorization to approve this vaccine rollout? When you you look at that kind of a move, how much of it was driven by this notion that we should get it out because the risk reward is much better tilted for this vaccine rollout than for holding it back because there could be isolated cases of some of these types of blood clotting issues or anything else that could come down the line? Yeah, I mean, the risk reward is is pretty obvious. Um, can I can I just frame that for you right now? In, in where I live in Pittsburgh, there are about a million people. So we'd expect one case of this. And if every man, woman and child in Pittsburgh and children can't be vaccinated um, yet because the, they haven't been studied. But if every man, woman and child had been vaccinated with J&J vaccine, we'd expect one case. And yet we've had 1,800 deaths from COVID in our population. So, you know, it's pretty obvious that that even under the worst circumstances, as of right now, it looks like it's 1,800 times worse not to vaccinate than to vaccinate. That's what the numbers tell us. However, this halt allows the investigators to go and find out if there are new cases, and there will be. I mean, I'm, I'm quite certain that that six cases is not all the cases that have occurred. And we will probably see other side effects. We want to know what those side effects are. And then people will have a better sense of, of what the risk is uh, compared to, to uh, getting COVID. Doctor, how important is the, the, the messaging and communication strategy around this kind of a thing to the overall picture? I, I, I'll, I'll say this, doctor. I, I got vaccinated. I've got my first shot of Moderna. Not that it should matter what brand or make I got, but I got the first shot available to me. I get my second dose next week. I did all of this understanding the risks and the factors that go into it. But there are folks out there 
who believe as though they don't want to get vaccinated because they don't trust in the safety and efficacy of these types of vaccines being rolled out as quickly as they were. You cannot blame them. I signed a form saying I understand I'm taking a non-FDA approved medicine or vaccine that was approved for emergency use. How exactly do you then convince people, given this kind of a development, that the vaccines are the right course of action to take? Well, I think that most sensible people, I mean, there are people that you just won't be able to convince that are are basically crazy. So, I mean, and there's not much you can do about that. But most sensible people will wonder, you know, can I trust that the people who are in charge are really looking after my health? And I think that this is a very good example of that, where even though everything we know about this, this episode says that it's better to vaccinate with this vaccine than to not, we still are halting it because we want to be absolutely sure. So that, that only increases our trust, I, I would think. Um, that makes me think that the people who are in charge are, are competent and uh, are looking out for our best interest. How quickly do you think that we will lift this pause for Johnson & Johnson's vaccine? I mean, how quickly do we think developments will progress to the point where Johnson & Johnson vaccines, those jabs will be administered once again to kind of participate in this vaccination effort? Well, we hope really soon. Um, uh, the, the folks at FDA, and if they're bringing in the CDC, they're very quick and they're very good. Um, but it still takes some time, perhaps a week, maybe two weeks, three weeks, um, I hope that um, they can reach a conclusion and have enough information to be able to, to make a decision within that, that period of time. Dr. Moore, is it, is it your opinion that the U.S. vaccination effort is going better than expected right now? Right now, yes. Um, it started off very, very rough. Um, we'd like to see it go even faster. I mean, the only thing that's going to end this is getting a good, safe vaccine in everyone's arm. And until that happens, we're, we're going to continue to have outbreaks of COVID. And it's gonna, it could potentially get much, much worse. So um, I think that we're in a much better place than we were when uh, the, the vaccines were first started to be approved in December. All right. Dr. Patrick Moore, professor over at the University of Pittsburgh. Thank you very much for joining us with your expertise this morning. Please keep us posted on your developments. Thank you. All right. Later on this morning, don't miss Meg Terrell's live interview with the CEO of Moderna. You can catch that on Squawk Box later on this morning, 7 a.m. Eastern time. Another must watch interview here on CNBC. On deck for the show, we are awaiting quarterly results from several big banks as earnings season kicks into high gear. KKM Financial's Jeff Kilberg and Trillium Asset Management's Cheryl Smith break down what investors need to watch coming up. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange any morning, check us out on Apple or Spotify. We're in audio format now. Check out our podcast apps. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Futures right now indicating what could be a higher open at the opening bell, just modestly so. You can see the Dow Jones implied higher by 21 points, the Nasdaq by about 28, and the S&P 500 up by about 5. Now, let's take a look at some of the themes and sectors you need to keep an eye on in the day and weeks ahead. Check out, first of all, what's happening from a sector perspective in the S&P 500. Over the course of the last, you know, say, six or so months, We've seen value stocks outperform growth stocks by a pretty wide margin, almost 1,200 basis points or 12% at that point there. So that value trade's been the big theme since the reopening and vaccines really came to the focus in probably the fall of last year. Now take a look, though, at some of the sector performance in the shorter to medium term here. Over the last one month, technology has reaffirmed as the top performing sector in the S&P 500. Meanwhile, financials and energy have gone to laggards over the last month. So there's a real momentum change developing here, at least short term, that reverses some of the trends over the last six months. Now take a look again at some of the other parts that we're watching as well from a from a perspective of a maybe longer term. J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo and Goldman Sachs over a six month period are some severe outperformers. The index overall is up roughly 40 percent. J.P. Morgan's up 54. Wells Fargo up 71 percent. You heard Anton Schutz earlier mention that stock as one of his top picks. Goldman Sachs up 56 percent. Each of these stocks reports earnings today. So joining me now are Trillium Asset Management economist Cheryl Smith, also KKM Financial founder and CEO and CNBC contributor Jeff Kilberg. Thank you both very much for being here. Cheryl, we will start with you. Are the financials still one of the sectors that you think could outperform in the coming months like they have over the last six? Thank you. Yes, we do expect financials to continue to outperform. That's a consequence of an improving economy and greater amounts of economic activity. So financials make money both from the spread between short-term and medium-term interest rates in their loans, but they also benefit from increased loan demand. And we will continue to expect this as one of the more cyclical sectors to do well as the economy continues to improve. Jeff, with that in mind, are, are you as constructive on those financials? We've seen the interest rate picture get incrementally better over the last several months for the banks. We also, we've also seen a pickup in capital markets activity, not just on the M&A side of things, but also on the trading and, and, and whatnot side of things. Is that going to be enough to carry this financial trade into the future? Well, Domino, I don't know if I share the same enthusiasm that Shale does about the financial sector. Certainly, we saw a big move higher in the financials. But let's remember, in 2020, Financials were the second worst sector. So certainly when you look at a, a broad swath ETF exposure like XLF, you're seeing it up over 20% year to date. But I get a little bit concerned here as I believe, and I'm in the camp that you're going to see the 10-year note drift back to 1.5%, and that will kind of cool the bank's earnings. So I do see the banks and financials in the top 10 of our sector rotation technical matrix, but nonetheless, it's number 10. It's not number one like technology, software, and semiconductors are. If that's the case, Cheryl, I'd like to kind of keep it focused here. You're going to watch what's going to happen with J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo report. What is it that they have to say to convince investors that the party still goes on for those big banks? And what is it that investors will perhaps say it's not enough in order for me to say, hey, there's been a 50 to 70 percent run over six months. Maybe now is the time for me to take profits. I think what we need to see is a continued strong uh, 
interest by those large organizations in keeping risk under control. So one of the major risks to this would be another Archegos or another um, large whale in the system such as that that could lead to a great deal of losses. So we want to see continued strong risk control. We want to see them um, really paying attention to the communities that they are invested in. So we do prefer regional banks to some of the larger money centers. Um, and we think that that strong involvement in community and strong growth with the community will continue to be positive for um, banks and regionals. All right. So, so, so constructive for banks, especially the regionals there. Jeff, if you look at the picture overall, you mentioned that you're not as high on some of these financial type stories out there. But are there ones in particular during this earnings season that you will kind of keep a focus on just to give you a, a, perhaps a sense as a trader about whether or not the, the market can still remain constructive? Well, Dom, I think you can put a pep in the step of the banks if you see any type of rhetoric about buybacks. That's a magical word, buybacks. We love hearing that. And if we do see Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan, if we do see Bank of America, we see any of these big banks talk about buybacks, that will propel financials back into a position of strength. So I'm not casting financials away by any means, but I think this move in the last six months is by and large due to the fact that Cheryl brought up the NIM, the netrosin on margin, that's really driven these stock prices higher on these individual names. But I do like financial services. IYG is an ETF that kind of tucks in MasterCard and Visa in conjunction with JP Morgan, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo. So if you look at those top five names in that IYG ETF, that's about 40% representation. And we're really excited to hear from JP Morgan, kind of set the tone for the earnings season. Cheryl, Cheryl in, in your role as a portfolio manager, you're, you're looking for the most effective way to deploy that capital. You're, you're, you're looking for the best returns out there. What do you think the macroeconomic backdrop is that we're operating in here in the U.S. and, and, and by proxy, maybe around the world? What does that tell you about where the best investments will be in the coming, say, six to 12 months? Thank you. Um, our macroeconomic outlook is very, very constructive. Um, we think that that the reopening trade is going to be very important. But we want to focus on companies that have cyclical exposure, but not the most extreme cyclical exposure. We are staying away from a uh, expectation of high inflation. We anticipate that we will see um, supply chain disruptions. We'll see um, some spikes in prices. But we are looking for companies that have exposure to the consumer economy. We're looking for companies that have exposure to infrastructure in particular. We're looking for companies that are going to benefit from moving and transitioning to a lower carbon economy. So we're looking at companies that have exposure to hydrogen gas. We're looking for companies that will be re will be building an infrastructure for electric vehicles across the country. So instead of very traditional you know, aggregates and commodities only, we're going to be looking for companies that are going to be participating in this restructuring of an economy to a lower carbon economy for the future. Jeff, I mean, Cheryl brings up a very interesting word. That is infrastructure. It's probably the biggest word that we hear in markets around the beginning of any presidential term out there. It's talked about quite often. Does infrastructure and the expansion of perhaps some of those types of projects in the U.S. lend itself fundamentally to any kinds of trades or companies that you're looking at? The expectation that we could spend possibly, hypothetically, trillions of dollars on building bridges, roads and tunnels and maybe Internet infrastructure out there? Absolutely. And I think we get excited about that could be the catalyst 
to move the economy as well as the stock market even higher. So we talk about essential names. You hear me talk a lot about the essential names. These are tangible names. So talk about a Lockheed Martin, talk about a Boeing, talk about even some of the forgotten names like a 3M or a Waste Management. Those are all essential names that should participate in this move higher when we do see a big and bountiful infrastructure package come through the marketplace. So I get excited about owning those names, but think about some of those names that kind of forgotten about. I'm not walking away from the FANG stocks by any means, but I think you do have to be diversified, and that's going to make the difference in Q2. All right, Cheryl Smith, Jeff Kilberg, thank you both very much for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage at record highs coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 